welcome to episode 8 of Popper's Cage. I'm one of your hosts, Gabo. With me today are Dime Collector. Hey, Dime. Hello, how are you? Uh, pretty good, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, we're, we seem to be missing Lowe. Um He's... I don't know what happened to him, but hopefully he might be able to join us later on. Uh, but we have a new guest with us. He's known as Special Kyle on MTGO and can be seen grinding the dailies with his affinity build. Hello, Kyle, and welcome to the Hello. show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, uh, it's great to have you on. Uh, let's talk about your background for a minute first. Um, so how and when did you get into magic? So we'll start from the beginning. Way back in grade school, I was a Pokemon kid back when that was big, playing the Pokemon card game. And as soon as that fad ended, uh, the I quickly got sucked in by the same my same friends and players quickly moving to Magic, which was the card game that kind of survived the test of time. And that was. Should look this up beforehand. That was during Apocalypse, though, so right at the end of the invasion block. Okay. And that was my first foray into magic. It wasn't any good or knew anything about what I was doing, but that was how, how I got in. And I played through Odyssey block, I think, and then took a little time off, came during Kamigawa, and that's when I really you know, started to focus on the technical aspects of the game. Oh, cool. Uh, so how how did you get into Popper though? Like during that time as well? No, actually, I didn't get into Popper until maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, I only really play Magic Online when I'm away at school during the school year, mm-hmm. and so I and mainly limited just because I can't keep up a constructed um, deck or collection with only playing maybe six and seven months a year. And one day I was bored and I I had known about Popper online, but I saw how there were all these awesome decks and it seemed cheap enough to get into. And I knew that hopefully if I built a deck that it'd be good to play for the next year at least. So I decided to do my research. I had actually played Affinity during Mirrodin Block for Standard uh, Constructed. Mm-hmm. And I had loved playing it back then and had a good handle on the deck, so I decided to write in and bought up a, a benefit a fanu. Oh, cool. So um so these days, uh, is it just popper that you play or do you play any other formats? P- pretty much popper. I'll when there's when they have their older drafts that they introduce that you know every couple weeks. If it's one that I was particularly fond of, such as Ravnica or uh, Time Spiral Block, I might do some little bit. But currently, at least, I'm just a popper player, at least until I uh, have a little bit more time on the hands. Oh, cool. So I guess you took advantage of when the, the cube was last on, that they had these uh, these uh, Time Spiral drafts? Absolutely. Time Spiral's great because online they're really cheap to buy up the sets and I, I think the format's pretty great, so I, I think I got in probably four or five drafts. Yeah, cool. Um, so your main archetype is, is Affinity. Uh, do you play any other archetypes at all? I dabble in 
if I see something with a, an existing archetype that I'm playing against that something occurs with me that maybe I can make this archetype better, I'll test it out, see if it actually is better. But for the most part, Affinity is uh, my pony. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this is a bit of a tangent, but I was wondering if there's anything from Pokemon that actually carries over to Magic in terms of um, something you learned earlier before you were a Magic player that you can actually apply to to Magic. Well, I'm sure there are plenty of things that carry over. Uh, again, I was really just starting out with any type of card games in general when I played Pokemon. And that was for such a short time that I don't think I learned anything useful back then. And is there anything uh, anything other that you might want to say about your background? To give people a heads up, my special pal nickname, uh, I'm not special. This was just a nickname given to me uh, by all my Magic friends, just Special K. But Special K is unfortunately taken by another Magic player on uh, Magic Online, so Special Kyle it was. Okay. I think you're very special, Kyle. I, I appreciate that. And that's why you're on this show. <laughs> okay, so recently there was a, a, a spotlight event on Popper, uh, you know, as part of the 10th anniversary celebration. And I believe uh, you guys participated in it. And Dime, you wanted to talk about uh, your story with the event. How did it go? Yeah. What happened? Well, I should start by saying that I didn't actually participate in the event itself. Oh. However, I did uh, quite a bit of testing and preparation, and I came to a few uh, revelations, I guess, some personal epiphanies that I wanted to share with all of our our wonderful listeners. Uh, go ahead. <clears throat> okay. So for this event, which... I have to thank you for telling me about in the first place because you got me kind of geared up and excited for it. I actually did more testing than I think I've ever done for any Magic event. Now, it might not be as much as as I wanted or as most people do, but it was actually a really cool experience. So um, going into my testing and approaching the event, I looked a lot at daily event results um, at that point in time from the reason you know, recent time period. And I came to the uh, conclusion that, you know, I saw a lot of decks performing well, and uh, some of the ones that continually were performing well were White Weenie, variations of Storm decks, and some post decks kind of jumping in here and there. So I I was really trying to take uh, an approach of wanting to have like certain good matchups. So picking a deck that, that would have uh, good matchups against those three decks. I basically wanted something that has game against White Weenie, against Storm, and doesn't just completely fold to post decks. Now that's pretty tough to, to pull off. And you might think that my default choice would be to play a White Weenie deck, but it's Storm and post de- ma- uh, matchups are not that, not that hot. So. Mm-hmm. The other the other downside would be that if there was a lot of white, be playing a lot of mirror matches. So that that also is not you know the most exciting prospect in the world. Mm-mm. So I kind of landed on wanting to play a mono blue control deck, 
and I and my reasoning there was that I felt like the white weenie match could be uh, made winnable with plenty of removal cards like Spire Golem, Quicksand, Serrated Arrows. Those are all you know fairly strong against white weenie. Yeah. And then uh, the Mono Blue Control deck is also pretty good against Storm. Uh, when you have cards like Echoing Truth, uh, you can use Piracy Charm to to make them discard. You have a lot of counter magic, so you can kind of sit back and kind of hook at them a little bit and then just disrupt their combo. And against Post, you have a sideboard plan of trying to mill them out with Curse of Bloody Tome, and I'm a really big fan of that, that game plan. So to help me out, there were some people on MTGO that played a lot of matches with me, so I wanted to say thank you to um, I hope I'm saying your ID correctly. Bop KR King 33. Also, Sir Pop Tart 15, RBJR, Civilization, and Pepito TV. So thanks, you guys. It really helped me out. I look forward to testing with you in the future. So, uh, additional testing that I wanted to do with my mono blue deck is that I wanted to play in a couple of daily events. I thought that would be a really good. Uh, sort of environment to test and, and get results and take notes and stuff like that. So th- the deck I ended up building was um, a mono blue control deck that also played a small trinket mage package as well. And the, the one of the best targets for the trinket mage package was Viridian Longbow. And uh, I'm not sure if I if I had landed on that in the first daily event or the second one, but the uh, person that helped me with that was Sir Pop Tart 15. And so special thanks to him because the longbow was very good in a couple of matchups. It literally won the game. Cool. Um, however, the did, day of, did you play uh, uh, spell, uh, no, uh, Silkbind Fairy? I did not play Silkbind Fairy. My my three drop was basically Trinket Mage and then, you know, sometimes Spire Golem is, is your turn three as well. Okay. Uh, to be honest, I didn't even feel like I needed the Silkbind Fairy. The longbow by itself was was really strong. You just need a creature. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Silkbind Fairy is good. I saw New Plan in that event that we're talking about using it. It's definitely good. At some points, it is kind of win more, but um, I just didn't want to clog up my three-drop slot. So I didn't play Silkbind Fairy. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the first daily event uh, did not go very well. I, I played against a Blue-Red Storm deck, in the first round, played by I Am A Wizard, who's a, I think he's fairly well, well-known or established player. And uh, one of the things is I put a, a single Echoing Truth in my main deck because I didn't want to just lose game one to, to Storm. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up winning that game with that single Echoing Truth, which was pretty sweet. Nice. Uh, game, t- game two and three kind of played out the same way where my sideboarding was, is very strong against Storm. Uh, he had a really techy card that uh, that basically killed me both times, and that's a card called Giga Drowse. It's, oh, a, it's yeah. a blue instant with replicate for blue that taps target permanent. Um, so all he had to do was kind of exploit the fact that I'm playing draw go against him. I'm just waiting for him to try and combo, and then I'm going to disrupt it. And he, he'll play Giga Drowse on my end step and tap all my lands out. And then he can just combo if he has a Bushwhacker and win. And that's exactly what happened, like, those two games in a row. Oh. So that was pretty rough. Um, and then I realized that uh, though 
later on, I made the white weenie matchup better. I didn't make it quite good enough uh, with the list I played at the event. So I actually went 0-2 right off the bat because I lost to a white weenie deck. The games were just going super long and, uh, you know, just getting grinded out by by his threats. So I think that was at the point where I I, I discovered the longbow and, and really made that matchup better. I took it to a second daily event and uh, started out 2-0 in that daily. Uh, first, first match was a storm deck and completely just shut it down. Uh, didn't have Giga Drows or maybe he didn't draw it, but I, it's not really played that often. Um, and without it, I, I felt like there was nothing that that deck can do against me. So that was really solid. And then match two, let me check my notes real quick. What did I play against? I played against a mono blue fairy deck. And I shut that one down pretty well um, and and won that match. And then the last two matches, I played a Fairies deck, and I lost to that one. And then I played Deluxe Eikhoff in round four. I got paired up because he was a 3-0 and I was 2-1. And he was playing Mono Green Stompy. And not only did he beat me, but he also talked a bunch of trash so i'm really like anxious to face him again and like get him back for that <laughs> uh, was he was he very aggressive with his trash or just just kind of joking trash talk? Which is- uh, i think he's just i think it's just part of his um his strategy like i think he wants to tilt he wanted to tilt me maybe oh really i didn't respond to any of it because i just wanted to focus on the game but i just i just thought it was funny Oh, yeah, that, that's. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised. Most most uh, really good popper players are usually very respectful. Uh, at least that, that that's been my experience. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if he knew of my ID or something. I'm not sure, or maybe he was just really trying to four zero. So he wanted to tr- maybe try and get an additional edge by doing that or something. I'm not sure. What, what kind of things would he say? Like, ah, you're, uh, you're so, losing. So, like, I'd, I'd, I'd play accumulated knowledge, and then he would he would make some comment about, like, how it's just one blue time walk yourself or something like that, and then I'd play it again, and he was like, oh, now it's three blue time walk yourself and maybe, like, do something. Just stuff like that. Um, which, it was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, so... We, we... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say should get him to the show for the Stompy deck tech. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. Invite him on and then just unleash on him. Don't even... We should just troll him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so that was two two daily events, and I thought I had, you know, I thought I had a, a strong deck. Uh, but, you know, twice in a row I kind of... I just felt like overwhelmed by all the questions that get asked in this format. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, I build a deck expecting to have, you know, good white weenie storm matchups. And then, you know, I'm getting beat down by these random, not random by any stretch, but, uh, you know, suddenly this daily is full of fairies decks and green stompy. It wasn't just the ones I faced. I was watching all of the rounds that were happening. Mm-hmm. And that was like the entire daily event. And so that actually, made me have one of uh, two really important uh, realizations, and that's kind of why I wanted to tell this story. And I think my whole approach was kind of off for two reasons. And the first reason is I was 
going into, or I was potentially going into this event thinking that I was going to somehow metagame and, you know, uh, I was planning to face certain types of decks and have a, a good matchup and kind of get there that way. When I think the reality with Popper is that you can't really, you know, follow daily event results and stuff and really pin down like a specific metagame per se. Because in this format, I feel like people are just going to play what they want to play. There's no, there's no predictability to it necessarily. Uh, like for instance, Kyle plays Affinity and he, he's really good at it and he's played it a lot and, and he'll continue to play it. There's a lot of people like that. And so it doesn't matter if, you know, last week there was a bunch of mono black or something. I don't think that, uh, you know, while that's kind of, that's definitely scary for an affinity player, it's not going to force Kyle to just decide, oh, I need to start playing a different deck now. Uh, and so with Popper, I think I was getting a little too hung up on, oh, I want to try and beat these certain decks because I'm expecting them to show up. And I think that's probably the wrong approach in this format. Which leads me to the second realization that I had. And I've had this before, and I, it was just a reality check. I need to just accept it. Uh, but the fact is, I do a lot better when I play proactive decks as opposed to reactive decks. I love, I like playing control, uh, but I just never, I, I just tend not to get results. Um, because like I said, there's so many questions being asked in the format. There's so many different types of threats. That it's it's hard for me to build a deck that can really you know stay above water and not just get run over. And I'd rather be on the other end of that. I'd rather play, you know, I'd rather be the beatdown more often than not because I can force the opponent to make more mistakes that way. I think um, so. That realization is is also just the fact that I should just continue to play the proactive decks I'm good at. And I should just master those, and I think I'll have the best chance in any type of event uh, if I do that. So uh, the main thing is that you know these dailies I did it was it was literally like the day before the the popper event, so it was on Friday, and uh, I started to panic. I, I, I had these realizations. I was like, you know, this control deck, I don't think I'm going to get there with it, and and I really didn't want to audible. I started putting together a white weenie deck, just trying to go back to my roots. And I was testing it a lot, testing it a lot the night before. And uh, I kind of burned myself out <laughs> just testing and testing. I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this day-long event. Uh, so that's really why I didn't um, end up participating. It was a mix of, like, I didn't feel good audibling last minute when I had put so much time into the control deck. But I also realized that uh, I'm not going to – I'm not going to be at my best playing a control deck. So I, I think the process was very good, but unfortunately I, I obviously didn't participate. And lo and behold, one of the best performing decks that I saw was a white weenie deck that went on a ridiculous tear, probably seven or eight matches straight <laughs> without losing or something like that. So that was kind of cool to see actually at the end of the day. Oh, cool. Uh, and yeah, I, I definitely agree uh, on various things you mentioned. Uh, one, uh, control, especially blue control, really requires you to know every single matchup because that's basically what you're doing. You have to know what to counter and you have to know all that. So it's very skill intensive and it's very, uh, it's a grueling deck to play. And 
Popper has so many decks that are so different that can win that uh, it, really any deck can beat any other deck at any given time. And I think the best strategy is just to play the one you're most comfortable with. I'm, I'm curious to hear uh, what Kyle's thoughts are that are because he's played Affinity for so long. Yes, I I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. The popper isn't like standard where if the deck gets popular like Delver, that 60% of the field's going to be Delver. There's definitely times when Storm's popular, you know, after uh, after Channel Fireball had printed an article about Goblins, you know, Goblins was the deck that you were seeing every round for the next few dailies. But when a deck gets popular really like maybe it takes up 20% of the field. You can't, just, you can't just go into a tournament uh, thinking you're going to beat one deck because, you know, maybe you'll face it one round in a daily. Well, that was that was, uh, that was really interesting, Dain. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, Kyle, you, you, <laughs> would you like to talk about your experience in that uh, Spotlight event? Definitely. <laughs> We we can skip it. You don't have to if if you don't want to. No no I'll 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 regale everyone with my with my story. Uh, okay. First first off I just it it was great to see another popper premiere event because it's something that seems like they've been cutting back on recently. Are these specialty format premiere events? You know I think the last one was maybe six months ago. I I can't even tell you but. You know, it's great that this thing came around. For the, I haven't been actually testing too much in the past couple of weeks, just because with how cheap the M12 packs are now, it really wasn't worth it to be, to be playing dailies. But with the 10th anniversary eight man queues that came out, I I was queuing up tons and tons of eight mans during this week, doing well in them. So I was really feeling confident going in. Unfortunately, I ended up dropping it 3-2. I lost to uh, two mono-black decks, which we'll, we'll get talking about the matchups a little later. But overall, I don't feel like I got unlucky or anything. It, it really was. You know, I, I played good players playing a deck that does well against mine, and things just didn't go my way that day. But... Uh, Good friend, E Hustle, ended up winning the event. It was great to watch all the rounds. I think there were 130-something people that played, so overall I think it was a really good tournament to have. And I think with everyone seeing the 10th anniversary things going on, I, that it's going to help more people get into the format who might not have considered playing it before. Yeah, no, definitely. What, what did, uh, just out of curiosity, what did uh, E Hustle play? He played the red black version of tortured existence oh yeah he's been he's been playing that recently hasn't he yes he he used to play the red white version which i believe he pretty much designed the deck himself and i don't know who designed the red black version it might very well have been him that made the change but he's been playing that he's a good player he chooses some crazy decks sometimes but this tournament went well for him once he made top eight, he got a few good matchups and managed to take it home. Cool. Well, congratulations to E Hustle. Um, all right. Well, that was uh, that was the spotlight event. 
Um, any any other interesting things you guys may, may have to say about the 10th anniversary events? So in preparing for this event, like I said, I was just playing tons and tons of eight-man eight uh, 10th anniversary queues. And at the time, I was triple-tabling three different, three different queues. And I was going into the finals, and I played Mono Blue Control, the Fairies version, round one. Or, sorry, round three. And game one, I win. And I'm triple tabling, so I quickly sideboard, hit submit, come back to, to a few minutes later, snap keep. At which point I realized that the red, the pyroblasts I sided in for against them were actually hydroblasts, and I hit two. <laughs> Luckily, his first two plays were Phantasmal Bear, Phantasmal Bear, which with hydroblasts, it only destroys it if it's red. It doesn't have to be red to target it. So I managed to take out his first two Phantasmal Bears with my uh, <laughs> destroy target red permanent spells. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. I, 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 I received some uh, negative feedback from him. I believe he thought that I cited it for that purpose, but I explained to him that it was just an honest mistake, and uh, we had a good laugh about it. <laughs> yeah. He should have trashed you, trash talk you there. Well, yeah, he needs to take some tips from Deluxe Ikoff. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So, the other topics I wanted to discuss are, um, thing, uh, well, the alternative budget formats and the player run events, which kind of uh, mix in together. Have you guys uh, tried any of those at all? Uh, we'll get into what each of those are in a minute, but I just want to see if you guys have any experience. Oh, you've just basically been playing classic pauper. I classic pauper is really the only format that I play on play online. I, and in real life, I, you know, I'll play standard in some older legacy modern format, but online at and I don't have much experience at all with other budget formats. Okay, what about you, Diane? I'm roughly the same, though I did have a little stint where I was heavily researching Standard Popper, doing a lot of uh, gatherer searches on all the legal cards, a lot of brewing. I brewed, you know, probably a dozen or more decks and very little testing. I, I was I was gearing up for a couple uh, Standard Popper events, but I found it very hard to find people that, that are around to test because it's such a niche format. And I think a lot of people are, are, like you said, more casual than I wanted to be about it. So I, I haven't, I haven't played a whole lot of it. And the only other format that I've kind of looked into is Peasant, which is a format that utilizes all commons with the exception of the fact that you can use five cards in your deck that are uncommons and they have their own ban lists and stuff, but it really uh, affects the, you know, the, the change from common to uncommon rarity is a pretty big leap in terms of power level. And so it's a really interesting uh, alternate format to kind of look at and explore. Okay. Well, how about I tell you guys about all these all these uh, formats and see if I can convince you to get into them a little bit more as I try to convince the listeners, maybe. That sounds great. <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been getting into uh, these, these uh, alternative formats a little bit more. Thanks to being a part of the clan. 
uh, of, of a clan, a new clan I'm in, and I want to talk about clans a little later on. Um, and I found it to be, to be great. Uh, let's start with Standard Popper, as you mentioned, Diane. Um, so, uh, some, some people don't actually believe that Standard Popper could be, could be deep or could be interesting. Uh, because, well, it's, you know, it's just the commons in standard. You might think that it's going to play like a, a really good draft deck. And what I say to that is, well, drafting is a lot of fun, and it's really cool to play a really good draft deck. And there are a lot of strategies uh, in, in standard popper. Uh, I'm going to mention a few, and actually, Dime, since, you've, since you were investigating, uh, you might want to uh, talk about some of the ones I might be missing that you found interesting. Uh, so here goes. My, my, favorite, my personal favorite one was Grave Burn, which is a, a red-black deck with a lot of burn, and it uses cards like Grave Digger or Phyrexian Ranger, Ragers uh, for card advantage, and it just uh, it starts pinging your opponents with, with a little goblin... Uh, goblin, what was it called? Well, it's a little goblin that just does one uh, fire slinger, yeah. And the curse of the pierced heart, and then you just start playing creatures to to stop any opposing threats or just to start getting in there. And you use your burn to kill their creatures off and and to to have reach, and that was uh, pretty effective. Then there's the uh, the typical white weenie. That one's uh, a classic efficient white creatures and the enchantment-based removal. And that one tends to use a lot of equipment as support and uh, has... Uh, many of the uh, white's creatures have uh, like innate card advantage. Uh, for example, um, what's this card? You love it, Dime. Uh, the 2-2 guy. When he dies, he comes back as a 2-1. That's Loyal Cathar. Loyal Cathar, yeah, one of our favorite creatures. He, uh, it feels like White has a lot of this, that, that you kill them and they come back and then they just come back. And the White Weenie uh, strategy uses that a lot. Uh, there's the good old Delver-based decks. Uh, you can have just mono-blue decks or, or add some, some other colors for, for variety. Uh, and that's just the typical uh, fast, cheap blue creatures with card draw and bounce. Uh, there, there's even Turbo Fog. That, that's actually a strategy in Standard Popper. You know, just uh, milling your opponent and using Fog to stop their threats. And uh, there's Red Deck Wins. That, that, that works pretty well with all the burn and all the efficient red creatures. And there's uh, Kaldotha Boros. This one's probably unique to this particular standard because of the Kaldotha, Kaldotha Rebirth. Uh, and they use that with some some artifacts and a bunch of white white creatures and spells uh, to just take over the, over the board. And, of course, Infect. We still have Infect in Standard, and that works pretty well. So there's, there's a lot of decks in there. Uh, Aren't there a couple of decks where people are trying to take advantage of Morbid and Undying Evil and stuff like that? Uh, yes, yes. There's, a, I think, the most common uh, color combination for that one is Black-Green. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it uses, um, uh, the tragic slip, um, the green, the, the green pump spell that gives, uh, plus one, plus one counters or plus, plus three, plus one, plus one counters uh, with morbid and things like, uh, uh, well, undying evil and 
the Young Wolf and Grave Digger and a bunch of cards like that. And that one, that one also has a lot of card advantage built into it. Every card gets gets like a two for one in in some way or another. Um, so yeah, that that that's another pretty strong strategy. Um, and there's actually uh, a lot of well. For an alternative format, there's a lot of coverage um, for Standard Popper. Like, you can find a whole bunch of articles in Pure MTGO and, uh, and in PDC Magic's website. There's, they have a whole forum, and they have lots of deck lists, and it's really easy to get into this, this format. Um, so, Dime, your problem was that you couldn't find people to test with, Right. Um, yeah, and another thing is I was brewing with a couple cards that I realized later were actually not legal because they were reprinted as uncommons, and so that kind of bummed me out as well. Oh, <laughs> what, what, would you have the um, what's the the white enchantment? Uh, yeah, there were the, the two big ones were Oblivion Ring and Trinket Mage, so that that kind of you know ruined my day. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Trinket Mage was is is. It's uncommon in Mirrodin? Yeah. I never really thought about it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess that, that, that would be a bummer. Um, but so for finding people to test, I'm going to talk about this more later on. But basically, uh, everyone in my clan was all over Standard Popper. So all I had to do was just jump into MTGO and go into my clan chat and say, Hey, anybody up for testing Standard Popper? And somebody would always play. And I'm actually in, like, two or three leagues where, you know, it's standard popper. And so I've been playing my Graveburn deck a lot lately. Much more than, than classic popper. Uh, so I've kind of gotten really hyped about it. But anyway, so that's uh, standard popper. Um, I, it's, it's also the cheapest format there is in Magic Online. I don't think there's anything cheaper than Standard Popper. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So for for a format that that's that's still deep, that's fun, and that's so cheap, I, I definitely recommend it. And we'll talk about how to get into organized events with prizes uh, after we finish looking at all the all the alternative formats that I want to talk about. You mentioned peasant. Uh, a little bit before, so you you were you were also looking at that one. Yeah, a buddy of mine that I test with a little bit, All Star Nine Nine Seven, is is the guy that has gotten me interested in it. And he wrote a really cool article on PureMTGO.com. That's a, a really nice primer on on the peasant format. And uh, I think it's just really interesting, even if you don't want to play the format, to just as a mental exercise to to really start to think about. Uh, what having the access to uncommons gives you. And you can learn a little bit about, you know, what is printed at certain rarity and stuff, even stuff, even stuff like that that you might not have thought about before. Um, So like I said, it is a format where it's predominantly popper staple cards, you know, that you'd be familiar with commons, but you can include five uncommons into your deck. So a lot of the times uh, people will do a three, two split, of uh, two different uncommons, or maybe you'll have four, you know, a, a full play set of something, and then a, a sideboard card that's also uncommon. Uh, so you'll see some of the same archetypes, 
that are in pauper also flourish in um, in peasant, and they get they obviously get a little bit better because they have some upgrades, uh, which is kind of cool. So it, it's sort of like a Big Brother format, or I guess it's not it's not a bigger format necessarily, but it's a slightly more powerful <laughs> format version of Popper. Yeah, I think uh, one thing is that the limitation of five cards can be slightly annoying personally because uh, it makes it really tough to decide what uncommons you want to add. So uh, as long as you get, you can stand that frustration, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um... <clears throat> yeah, I, I found that um, that the, the meta game for peasant looks very similar to the meta game for just classic classic pauper, and with the with the additions of of, of a few kind of uh, combo decks or decks that revolve around certain specific uncommons. Uh, but yeah, generally it's it's most of the same the same kind of decks as, as in classic pauper, but you know with the, with the upgrade. Of those on comments, um, there's there's an interesting article by Robert Barnowski that I found. Uh, apparently, he was he he started the peasant format, and I'm going to include it in the in the show notes so that you can read about it if if you're interested. Um, and I think that's all that's all I have to say. I'll also include the All Stars uh, article because uh, it it is really. Interesting, and it shows all the all the typical decks and some examples and how it plays out. Um, and so, something to note is that <clears throat> there isn't a, like a specific band list. So PDC Magic holds some peasant events, and they have a, a band list, but there isn't like a global band list for for you know just for general. Uh, so there are other places where you can. You can find there's there's a French site, for example, called Top Eight, and they have a banned oh. Force of Will. <laughs> so you see all these decks with Force of Will in them. <laughs> force of Will is uncommon, of course. Uh, so you can get some crazy stuff like that. Um, all right. So the next format I want to talk about is relatively new. It's called Silver Black, and. As well, the name might give a hint of to, to what it is. It's all commons and all uncommons. So this is the next step after peasant. <laughs> um, so this one's mainly played in the modern, uh, I guess, limitation. So all the all the sets that are included in modern, and uh, and it uses basically the same band list as the mm. normal modern. And it's it's starting to to get some traction in MTGO thanks to some some player organized events, uh, and that one has some I guess some some classic uh, deck archetypes like red deck wins or mono black control or you know, blue white control stuff like that. But it also has some some interesting uh, different archetypes. Uh, because, for example, cloud cloud post is is banned, uh, but you have access to some of the more interesting Eldrazi creatures. There's a, there's an archetype called Eldrazi Tron or Eldrazi Ramp, where you start playing the Urza, Urza lands, uh, and then generate a lot of mana, and then you play this this huge Eldrazi that brings back a creature from the graveyard. Mm. Uh, 
when you cast it. Not when it comes into play, when you cast it. So even if it's counter, it'll bring back a creature. Uh, so there's there's a bunch of things that can be done with, with that kind of uh, a base. And there's there's quite a, a thriving metagame, I'd say, for modern Silver Black. Um, and because it's modern, even though it has uncommons, it's still pretty cheap. Because all the cards that from sets uh, from modern onwards, they've been drafted plenty. So all, all the common cards are definitely cheap. They're all bulk. And most of the uncommons are are pretty easy to, to get. So this is a very accessible uh, format. And, and um, there's there's a pretty good series of articles on Pure MTGO by Derek Evanoff, uh, where he talks about the metagame and how it works and um, what you can find. Um, so this is another another format that I definitely recommend. Uh, but because there's obviously there's not a filter on MTGO, it's also fi- uh, difficult to find people to test with. Mm. Uh, so yeah, this, well, this sounds really sick. What, I'm really very excited about Silver Black. Oh, you, you, you started looking into it? Just, well, I'm just, just thinking in my head, all the white weenie cards that are now available. Yeah. <laughs> you got yeah. Path to Exile, Brave the Elements, Core Firewalker, the list goes on and on. Oh, yeah, yeah. White weenie is a deck there as well. So, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to... I'm really trying to convince you. I'm going to have to convince you, Dime, to join a clan. Specifically my clan. <laughs> uh, because there there are so many formats that people play in there. And they're, they're like, you get in there and they want to play. Like, if you say, I want to test this deck competitively, somebody in there will say, oh, yeah, I, I've got a deck. I'll test. I, th- I think you need to join our clan, Dime. I'm officially... Publicly uh, telling you. Is this an invite? <laughs> this is an invite. Well, obviously, uh, y- you have to get the invite from the administrators, but they- they- they'll be very happy to get someone like you in the clan. <clears throat> we'll see about that. <laughs> I, have, I have a reputation, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's a good reputation. <laughs> I hope so. <clears throat> okay, so there's one other uh, budget format that I want to talk about, and, and this format is the definition of budget, because it is a format entirely based on the price of cards. Um, we actually talked about these formats in uh, in a previous episode in what I call the after dark. You know, the little conversations we have after the main podcast is, and uh, the format I'm talking about is called Heirloom. Oh, and, and back then I also didn't know how to pronounce it. Heirloom. Um, so. The limitation for this format is you can only play cards if if they're if they're mythic they're they have to be worth less than say one one ticks if they're rare they have to be worth less than 0.5 ticks uh, if I can't remember exactly for the uncommons and commons but they also have to be pretty cheap and um, and that's that's literally the limitation that's how you ban cards in this format. And so that allows you to play with some crazy cards that exist in, you know, in the rare and mythic uh, rarity, rarities. Um, and so that makes for a lot of, of interesting decks. But it's still cheap, right? Uh, at the most, if you play a deck that has 60 mythics, uh, well, if they printed mythic lands, uh, this deck would at the most cost $60, 
uh, which is which is actually quite a lot. But uh, on average, you know, these decks are costing around five, ten ticks, something like that. And you're making a deck that's that's comparable to something as powerful as you find in standard. Uh, so I think this this has a, a lot of potential, and the the format has been um, what you call it has been given support by a number of, of people outside of Wizards, obviously, uh, and it has an official web page where they keep all the rules, all the all the band list. They update the band list every month, I believe, based on uh, MTGO Traders' uh, price list. And, um, and they have a series of articles that, that they're constantly uh, publishing on pure MTGO. And there's, uh, there's quite an interesting uh, metagame. Uh, just, just to mention a few of the archetypes, there's Goblins, Burn, Blue-White Control, there's combos like uh, ooze combo that uses uh, that ooze from scars that gains the ability of things in the graveyard and then you just throw stuff in the graveyard and then you can do cool things uh, oh and there's two versions of heirloom there's classic and there's standard now a classic seems a little overwhelming to me at this point because obviously there's a lot of cars to choose from but standard heirloom is something that you can Use to kind of put a, a foot into standard because a deck that you build for standard heirloom is obviously legal for normal standard, and sometimes they can be competitive. So there's another format for people trying. People who complain about Magic being expensive, <laughs> it's not if you don't want it to. Like you can play Magic uh, for cheap. Did you mention if there's a ban list or is it strictly based on how much the card costs? It's well. I believe it's strictly based on how much a card costs, and I I didn't see if there were any any cards that that were cheap that were that were bad. There there may be uh, you know things like um, I don't know maybe maybe in the classic uh, version uh, skull clamp something like that. But I, I think the ones that would require being banned are usually just too expensive anyway. Yeah, that, that that makes sense to me. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So those those are all the the alternative formats that that have a little bit of traction right now. There's organized events for them. Uh, you can find deck lists for all these formats if you go uh, into PDC Magics. Uh, they have a, a tool called the Gathering, and that shows like all the decks that have been submitted into all the events they've held. Uh, there's also another gathering tool uh, in Popper Crew's website. Popper Crew is, is the clan that I'm a part of. And they, they actually organize, well, they, they keep track of the Silver Black and the Heirloom events and some other Popper events. So they have a lot of deck lists. So there are places uh, to look into for all of these. Um, <clears throat> and if, if somebody just wants to investigate, take a look at the metagame. And so those are not the only alternative formats. There's, for example, a lot of uh, popper for other popper formats. There's modern popper, extended popper, and a bunch of others. And you can fl- find events held for those formats in PDC Magic. Uh, but they're, I guess they're not as popular as the ones we uh, already mentioned. So... 
those are the ones you, you might want to see if, if there's something that tickles your fancy. Okay, so that's uh, the alternative formats. I actually have a question. Let's pretend that you've piqued my interest in these formats. Where would, where do I need to go to learn about the uh, player-run event? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that's, uh, that's our next topic. Um, let me just start by saying that, well, there are, there's a, 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 actually a large variety of free events for all these cheap formats. And they're, they're sponsored by, by bots, so they actually have prizes. Um, and, well, we'll start with the, with the place where you can find them. Uh, Wizards has a, a forum where, you know, just, just the normal uh, forums for Magic the Gathering. And one of those forums is actually called Player Run Events. So you can find that forum if you just Google for uh, MTG Player Run Events. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll include the link in the show notes. And in there you'll find all these... Um, each, each thread is basically uh, a description of an event, how the format is, and, and who's running it, and what time it starts, and everything. And usually how it works is that uh, you, go into this, you go into the thread, and um, you find what's going on. You, you find the time when the, the event is going to start. And then once it gets to that time, you join a specific chat room in MTGO. And there you'll find all these people, and the organizer will start uh, giving out instructions. And typically, uh, you might uh, register either using a tool like, like the Gatherling that I mentioned. Uh, that, that basically uh, lets you submit your deck list, and then they can use that for, uh, you know, for keeping track of decks. Or you might just... In, in a special chat room, you type something like register or reg. And then they use a bot that, that takes down all the people that have registered. And then they use a program to create all the pairings. And then they post the pairings either in the forum thread or in the chat room. <clears throat> and then you just uh, start playing with whoever your, your opponent is. And, and that's how it goes, basically. They're free to enter. That's a big thing, right? Don't have to spend anything on them, but there are prizes, so they're play they're paying you to play. <laughs> so I think that's that's pretty awesome. I'm gonna give you just a run through of the of the uh, periodic events. So there there's some weekly events. So for example, on Monday, uh, now all these times are given in in Eastern times. So just just take that into account. So on Monday, there is what's called the MPDC. Uh, the M stands for Monday, Monday Popper Deck Challenge. And that's uh, a standard uh, popper event. And it starts at 2... Well, you register at 2.30 Eastern Time, and the event starts at 3. Um, then on Tuesdays, there's a classic popper event. That one's called TPDC, T for Tuesday. Um, and that one's in the evening, well, in the evening for people on this side of the world. So that one starts at 8 p.m. standard uh, Eastern Time, uh, and you register half an hour earlier. Well, you have half an hour to register before it starts. Uh, then on Wednesdays, there's a modern silver black, sil silver black event. That one's at 7, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. On Thursdays, uh, there's a standard, uh, another standard popper event, 
That one's in the evening. That one's actually the only one that has that's at a time that I can actually play. That one starts at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Um, then on Fridays, there's a, a standard heirloom event at 6 p.m. Eastern time. On Saturday, that's the only day I believe there aren't any uh, any player-run events for any of the alternative formats that I've given out. Um, <clears throat> but there are other other crazy formats. There are there's uh, like standard. Well, standard isn't crazy. Right? There's commander, modern, uh, and some crazy formats like um, I don't know, prismatic, singleton, something, uh, or tribal stuff. Uh, th- th- there's a lot of, of formats. I'm just mentioning the ones that are actually very cheap. <laughs> uh, on Sunday, there's um, there's a classic heirloom, and uh, I believe there's a modern popper and a peasant event on Sunday. So I've written a blog post that has all of this information, and you you can find all the dates, all, everything that you want in the, the Wizards uh, forum, and also uh, PDC Magic, which hosts most of these events. Uh, they have uh, a pretty well-organized uh, place where you can find all the schedules and how to register and all that. Um, I also want to mention that there are leagues, right? MTGO doesn't have leagues. People have been complaining about that for since they removed them because they, they used to have them. Um, but players have organized their leagues. There, <clears throat> there is a, an open standard popper league every two, that happens every two weeks. That was organized by one of uh, uh, the administrators of my clan, uh, but it's open for anyone who wants to enter. Uh, so if you want to try out some of your standard decks, uh, Dime, I recommend you, you get into the league. The thing is, there's nothing to lose, right? There's no cost. So you can, you can use it to test the deck competitively, right? And even though you're actually participating in the league, you're kind of testing it. There's a, a league held by uh, our friends at Popper to the People. Uh, they, it, that's a, a more casual league. Uh, but, but the people who play it, like, it's, it's casual in how it's organized, but the people who play it are, are quite competitive. Uh, so that's, that's a good place to try out. And they're going, they're kind of rotating through various popper formats. Uh, so they're going through standard first, then classic, and then some other format. Um, and I think if you look hard enough, you, you can find some other, other kinds of leagues. Now, inside my clan, uh, they have, like, internal leagues. So they have like a classic league that's also happening every two weeks. So every two weeks, you know, you just play against all everyone you can, and then there's a top eight, and then the, the winners get some prizes. And I'm actually holding a, a sealed deck league because I'm a big uh, limited uh, fan. Uh, so I'm kind of organizing a sealed deck league where you open virtual boosters, and then you, you, you make your deck with that, and, and then you add a booster every week. Yeah, stuff like that. So, <clears throat> so there it is. Another way in which you can play Magic for for free in this case uh, and gain prizes. Uh, all you have to do is just look a little bit in the forums and find something that that fits your schedule and fits your tastes. Um, do you have any questions about this, uh, Kyle? No questions, but uh, you've definitely got me excited. I will be going on, and I'll. Give give uh, one, if not more, of these events a try, and 
see how it goes. Yeah. I, I actually use, uh, for example, the, the Popper Crew uh, clan leagues to test out the decks that we are we are doing deck techs for. So uh, I'm trying out my affinity build on the on the Popper Crew League right now. Uh, by the time this is published, uh, the league will have finished, so I'm not worried they're going to hear about this. Find <laughs> out my secret deck. <laughs> uh, are you, are you uh, any more excited about this time? Definitely. I'm, I'm literally... <laughs> Can't wait to open Gatherer and, and start, you know, just exploring what what's possible in all of these different yeah. formats and all these different uh, competitive events. Yeah. Now I, I should I should also warn you, it can get a little overwhelming because there's so many formats, so many ways. So I've I've found that I had to just focus on on one on thing. Like one. Yeah. So right now my focus is kind of just standard popper and. Uh, and I'm, I'm keeping focus on, on classic popper, of course. Uh, but afterwards, I want to take a look at either Heirloom or or Silver Black. Because they, like, I built one deck for Sil- Silver Black, and I built the Eldrazi ramp, and that was pretty pretty cool to, oh, cool. to pilot. And so, yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> that's about it for player run events. And that kind of brings me to the next topic I want to talk about, and that's clans. So let's see if after this topic, Dine, you're you're just going to be hooked in. You, you, you're not going to want to leave your computer without, you know, registering for a clan or trying mm-hmm. to get something in there. <clears throat> okay, so clans. I've mentioned them before in, in this podcast, and I've, I've always said that I recommend them. So I want to just kind of list out the benefits of joining a clan. Oh, by the way, did you know uh, Love? He's joined Team DBC at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, and that's actually uh, Kyle's clan. You're still in that clan, right? Yes, I am. Okay, that's good. Um, so here are some of the benefits of joining a clan. So the first one is the basic, the, the one that MTGO gives you, and that's that you have a clan chat window uh, with, which you can talk to your online clan members. So you don't need to make any buddies uh, once you're in a clan, you, you have all these people in, in the clan chat. And you can talk to them. You see them online, etc. Um, so the second one is that it, it makes it really easy to find friendly people. Oh, it, there are no unfriendly people in clans, I think. Well, at least in the ones I've been in. Everyone's always really friendly, right? You're, you're rooting for your own clan. So it's easy to find lots of friendly people that are interested in playing the same formats as you are. Right? Obviously, you join a clan... That's that's interested in the, the, the types of things you want to play, right? Um, so with a clan, it's very easy to organize casual and competitive events uh, with clan members, and that's something that we've definitely been doing in Popper Crew. Uh, I don't know about Team DBC. I assume you guys do more just testing, right? Yes, more just- testing and a, a lot of chatting and. During the tournaments, plenty of complaining going on, but <laughs> yeah. we, all, we all keep to ourselves for the most part as far as what events we're playing in and all that. Okay, all right. Um, so another one is, uh, so for new people, for new people that are you know, just either new to MTGO or new to Magic or new to a format, it makes it easy to find people that are going to help you with getting cards or understanding MTGO or just getting general tips on playing better. And for veterans, uh, it makes it easy to find practice partners. 
So, so there you are. If you're not in a clan, you should get in a clan right now. <laughs> so I want to talk about my clan uh, and, and see if uh, I can convince plenty of uh, some of the listeners and dine into, you know, looking into it. Uh, so my clan is Popper Crew. Uh, I used to be part of Limited Resources, and I really enjoyed that that clan because uh, I was all about playing sealed and and limited. But then when I started getting more into popper, uh, I found that this clan was more adequate for my tastes, and especially uh, now that I'm uh, that we're we're doing this this podcast. Um, so this clan was founded by uh, a guy called uh, Parox Paroxidic, and it's it's just basically focused on playing all the forms of popper. Uh, sp- especially classic popper, obviously. Uh, and they, they're very keen on playing on all the PDC Magic events. And I think it's the biggest popper clan right now. It has over 160 members. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's only one, uh, just over 8,000 packs, which is relatively small compared to the number of members it has. And that's because... Uh, we're, we play more on, on like PDC Magic events, more player-run events than the actual MTGO dailies and stuff like that. Um, so we've got our own forum page, and uh, there's there's a lot of information uh, that you can find there, a lot of tips, a lot of new interesting decks, um, and you can just chat with people about uh, multiple things. And that's they use this forum to organize events and, and tournaments internal to the clan. And also, as I mentioned before, there's the, the gathering tool where you can register your deck and you keep cra- track of, of how you're doing and all that. Um, and if you want to join, you basically have to try and uh, find one of the, the members. Uh, I'll, I'll list out uh, the administrative members that you can try and find in MTGO. So you can ask for admission. Or the other way, and that's, that's I think, how most people do it, um, you log in, you, you you register for the forum, and then you make a you make a request through the forum uh, to join. So that's about it for Popper Crew. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about Team DBC. So how do you feel about being part of that clan, uh, Kyle? Uh, I'm really enjoying the clan. I've only been part of it about maybe two months now. Before that, I was part of a local clan of real life players. Okay. But a lot of my friends from around the area just haven't been playing as much, so eHustle finally convinced me to come join uh, Team DBC, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's Team Doing Battle with Common. <laughs> and a lot of the better-known names of people who are playing in all these popper dealers are in there. So it, it really is a great place that when I want to test a deck and I want to test against a certain deck, I can hit, hit up a player who I know is going to be playing well against me and not giving me, you know, maybe wins I wouldn't have earned in an actual tournament. Yeah. So I, I was lo- looking at the MTGO uh, clans. Like, in, in, in MTGO, you can actually look at, at what clans there are, and you can see how many members they have. Uh, Team DBC has around 30 members. Obviously, it changes uh, constantly. And they've won over 40,000 packs as of June. Uh, so that's, that's plenty. Uh, it, it is one of the 
more uh, successful clans actually in terms of packs. It's I think in the top thirty or top twenty. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, if you compare it to limited resources, now limited resources is a uh, it's kind of a special case because it's a clan uh, created by the, the the limited resources podcast. Uh, it has been very popular, and they they now have over. 1,600 members, and they're growing all the time. And they're very active members. So um, you want to know how many packs they've won? They've won over 230,000 packs. So, you know, you compare that to the 40,000 packs in Team DBC or the 8,000 packs in the Popper Crew, and that's a lot of packs. And that's in just over two or three years, I think, they've been on. Um, so that's a lot of people. Uh, it's a very crowded clan. It, when when you log in there, there's always someone someone there. There's always a lot of chatter in the, in the clan chat. But they're kind of focused on on limited stuff. Um, there are other popper focused clans in MTGO, um, but I don't believe they have like a web page or or kind of uh, like a public community that that you can that you can find. But using MTGO, I was able to kind of look at some of the more prominent ones. And I just want to mention a few. So there's one actually called Popper, and that's got around 20 members, and they've won over 10,000 packs, so they're, they're pretty competitive. There's another one called Popper Player. Uh, they have about 35 members, but they've only won around 2,000 packs. Uh, there's Princess of Popper, Princess of Popper, uh, the PDC Clan, PDC Deck Lab, and Rock Popper Scissors. And all those have, oh, awesome. <laughs> and those have you know around uh, between five and twenty members, and they've all won at least a thousand packs. Uh, most of them are actually closer to the uh, five thousand, ten thousand range. Uh, so they're all obviously quite active. So there there are places where you can um, you, know, you can find people that that want to want to test where you can find a clan uh, and depending on how competitive you are or how uh, what kind of things you want to test there's there's probably a better clan for you for you dime i'm not actually sure if if you'd be better off you know in something like popper crew where it's it's more about the player run events and i, I mean they, they, there are a lot of members that that you see in the dailies uh, you know uh, winning uh, or if you want the the absolute elite that is Team DBC. Uh, and you've got you've got some really outstanding names in that. Uh, I see, for example, uh, Mezel. You've heard of Mezel? Oh yeah. Yeah, and Paulo Cabral, and and you know, and obviously Special Kyle and E Hustle. All uh, all these people are you know very prominent in the dailies. So so there you have it. So so Dime, which well no, <laughs> don't don't make a decision just yet. But definitely, I I hope you're thinking about joining a clan soon. Well, thank you very much for that uh, that rundown. I'm very conflicted about <laughs> which clan. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's the right make. Yeah, I, I uh, so you you uh, you were you were finding people to to play with on Magic Salvation, right? That that could that that could adjust, you know, to a specific schedule and 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 do practice tests and stuff like that and that's a great way to find people uh but i actually think it's it's more efficient 
to join a clan and then you automatically have all these benefits. Yeah, the benefit of a of the clan chat and all that. Mm. Yeah, maybe you're thinking of creating your own clan. I have been thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that 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 is also entirely I possible. Come to a conclusion yet though. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. All right. Okay, well, that's it for clans. So, Kyle. Yeah. Um, so you have a special brew that you've been working on, uh, this uh, secret tech. Uh, yeah. Do you care to share with us and the listeners uh, what this deck is about and how it works? I'm quite yeah. intrigued. So probably about a month ago now, I... I uh... I randomly stumbled across some um, legacy results online for Star City uh, Open. And one of the top eights was Belcher, which if, for any listeners not, not familiar with Belcher, uh, it is, it, it's a deck that plays one land. It plays Goblin Char Belcher, which you remove cards until you reveal land. And it deals that much damage. If you reveal mountain, it deals double. And so the only land that plays it, I believe Taiga is at the red-green one. I, I believe it is a Taiga. Okay. But, so you're, you're just playing one land for the Belcher to actually kill with. But then it's playing four land grants, which searches for a force, so you can search, search up your Taiga. And then you're also playing a whole lot of rituals, and it goes off with, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different cantrips. It has Street, street Wraith, Gataxian Pro, Manamorphos. And it can also go off with uh, empty the Warrens and Goblin Bushwhacker, and I, it's a it's been a fair it's been a well known deck for a while now. But I was looking at the list and I realized that a lot of the key cards were all common, and so I quick quickly searched online. Have they all, these all been trained online in common? And I found that, with the exception of the Belcher itself, that you can build a very close storm variant. Uh, using all proper legal cards. So I, I got, got to brewing and my, my initial brew, uh, I think it had something like eight lands, uh, all the good, all the good cannon trips, all your red storms, and then you stormed into either an empty the wars or an Ulamunch crusher, uh, normally on turn one. Wow, turn one. Yes. It, it, it was, it, it is a very quick, uh, storm deck, but it, it lacks resiliency in that once you storm off, you know, you have no duresses, you have no interaction whatsoever. You are only attempting to storm off as quickly as possible and hope you went from there. Okay. And so at, after a bit of development, it, it quickly became obvious that even, like, if you're on the draw, storm one, uh, turn one Ulamog's Crusher isn't even that great a lot of times. It stays echoing truth it or have any removal spell if you're one creature, you're dead. And so it, there's been a lot of uh, development since then. I've been working with a friend online, uh, Azu Wraith, A-Z-U-W-R-A-I-T-H. Me and him have been doing a, a whole lot of work on this deck. And the current version, it runs three lands. You have one force and two mountains. And we've now cut out the Ulmonks Crushers, you, but you run uh, six black rituals. You run, or seven black rituals. You run three Cabal Ritual, four Dark Ritual. And then you also have three uh, Demir House Guard main deck. Okay. Hmm. Transmutes for Empty the Warren. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And 
So this deck, it is uh, a very fast deck. Uh, normally t turn one or turn two, you're storming for 14 plus uh, goblins. And it, it's very good doing what it does, but it, it just doesn't have that much interaction. It, it was finally played in the an event. It was actually played by, I loaned the deck to a friend of mine yesterday who went 3-0 in the first three rounds, uh, missed play to lose the fourth round, and then lost two more after that to drop. But I myself will probably be taking it for a run definitely before this episode airs, so people can look, look up online, they can see uh, how bad I got my butt kicked playing this deck. But <laughs> uh, as of now, I, I really do think it, it will be like a new Tier 1 deck for the format uh, once it gets out. Okay. And, and it's awesome to play because you're only running three lands. I do have a I do have a build that only one run land one land, but that's mainly for bragging rights. Okay. <laughs> uh, did, does it use the, like doing it on a dare or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a I, I I didn't hear if if you said it. I might have missed it. Does it use that card that it's like a gorilla or something? But it, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Are you playing Simon Spirit Guide. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, uh, here, let me real quick, I'll actually... Oh, man, we're getting an exclusive here. Ooh. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'm happy Jonathan. to share this deck. We're getting a draft of the, this deck. Okay, so you're playing four Gitaxian Probe, which, you know, they, they increase Storm Count and draw you some. Mm -hmm. Main deck, you have three Demir House Guard, two Cabal Ritual, and four Dark Ritual. You have the full four Empty the Warrens. Uh... You have four Simian Spirit Guide, uh, full sets of Seething Song, Desperate Witch Ritual, uh, Pyretic Ritual, Rite of Flame. You have four Land Grants, which search up Sporus. And then you also have four Tinder Walls, which this is from the, uh -huh. this is the Belcher. It's one green for an O3 that you can stack for two red. And oh, also yeah. has the actually semi useful ability of one red and stack it to deal two damage to target, target creatures blocking. Okay. Uh, and then you run four Lotus Petal, four Mana Morphos, uh, two Mount, two Snow Covered Mountain, one Snow Covered Forest, uh, or Unhinged. You can use the full arts if you as long as they're not not <laughs> normal <laughs> mountains, right? Yeah, yes. No. If if I see anyone running the, my my deck and they have normal force in there. I, I will personally tell them that is the incorrect build and make fun of them. <laughs> Good thing I have some uh, some snow covered ones then. There you go. And then the current build it, it runs three uh, goblin bushwhackers, but main deck it it I I haven't made changes to this in probably a week. I've been testing for the premiere event, but it, uh, it very well might be right that you drop one or two bushwhackers for some more cabal uh, rituals, just because game one. People normally don't have main deck answers to, you know, 14 plus goblins turn one. Uh, I will say the record with this deck is I dealt uh, 39 damage turn one to someone. Nice. Yeah. But, but no, it, it's an awesome, I mean, it's fun deck to play. If you like playing solitaire, this is the deck for you. Uh, <laughs> you're, like, what your opponent does has absolutely no bearing on what you do, so... It, it, it's fun, and hopefully it will be out by the time the podcast airs. All right. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Okay, so that's all we have time for today. 
we are going to be keeping special uh, special Kyle for the next episode so that we can do uh, the whole Affinity deck tech. Um, but you'll have to wait for the next episode for that. Uh, remember that you can reach us by sending an email to popperscage at gmail.com or by leaving a comment in mtgcast.com or in our blog at popperscage.blogspot.ca. Now, Dime, how can the listeners check out your videos? Well, I'm glad you asked. You can check out my videos on youtube.com, and my account is dimecollectorsc. And I've got plenty of popper videos waiting for you. I hope you guys check them out, and please subscribe if you like what you see. All right. Well, thank you, Dime. Well, thank you. <laughs> okay. And thank you, Kyle, for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you, all listeners. Till next time. This is my future voice speaking, and I find myself in the need to interfere with today's recording to give you, the listeners, some updates. First, I'd like to explain why I'm here in the first place. You see, we had to record the content of this podcast two weeks before it was published because my past self was expecting my wife to give birth at any moment, so we decided to record a little bit sooner than normal. A good thing, too, because my wife gave birth that very evening to a lovely and healthy little boy. In general, due to life, the universe, and everything else, we may often have to record a bit before the publishing date to give myself time to edit out Dime's incessant giggling, loaves cursing, and any time our guests embarrass themselves. But at the same time, we want to broadcast some recent news. So, you may be hearing me frequently at the end of future podcasts. In this episode, we have one important bit to follow up. As you may recall, I was trying to convince Dime Collector to join a clan. Well, it turns out the option he went for was creating his own clan, now known as the Popper Nose. It already has over 20 members, and is a great option, just like Popper Crew and Team DBC, for anyone looking for a clan. While I'm here, I might as well give you an update on popper prices. All the cards from Invasion Blocks are dirt cheap right now, except for Prohibit. That one dipped down to about 0.4 ticks, but is now hovering around the 0.7 ticks mark. If you didn't get them when they were cheaper, I suggest getting them now before they continue to go up. Other than Invasion Block cards, popper cards have in general gone back up in price, especially the ones from Ursus Block. That is, of course, except Rancor. With Rancor coming up in M13, you'll be able to get them for dirt cheap. And if you haven't sold yours yet, you might as well, since you should still be able to get one tick for them. At least. Uh, the top most expensive cards are... Lotus Petal at 7.58 ticks, Days at 7.39, Serrated Arrows at 4.08, Cloud of Fairies at 4, Hydroblast at 3.77, Accumulated Knowledge at 3.59, 
and gush at 3.72 ticks. Uh, interesting to note that many of these cards are actually at their highest they've been in the last year. So it's probably due to Popper becoming more popular. The most notable riser I can see has to be Prismatic Strands, which went from just under a ticks to almost two ticks, so basically doubling. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to get much more expensive, so if you have any extras, you might want to try and sell them. Uh, the most notable faller, outside of Invasion Block, of course, was Chain, light chain Lightning, going from a Tix to below half of one. And that's probably due to it being part of the Fire and Lightning decks being given out as part of the 10th anniversary of Celebration. And well, that's all I have to say for now. So, for the moment, my work here is done. <laughs>